At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a culture filled with promises for a better life, deeper satisfaction, and greater purpose, but how do we know which is right? We invite you to join us for Smoke and Mirrors, deciphering truth in a world of truths, where we'll look to Scripture to expose the illusions of our culture, and together, hold fast to a better answer, God's. Church family, as we wrap up our summer, we're also wrapping up our summer series. We've been in a series called Smoke and Mirrors, and through this series, we've been looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. We've spent already five weeks, this is part six, looking at the many different attempts, the many different ways that the author of this book, so many believe to be King Solomon himself, where he invested himself in really what was an ongoing investigation to discover what could bring meaning and purpose to life. And really, as you let the chapters unfold, we, we've seen that all of those attempts mirror modern and common attempts, realities we see ourselves even playing out in our lives day after day after day. The author hoped he could leave a lasting mark on this world, only to find out that everything fails. He hoped he could find purpose in accumulating greater knowledge, being smart, but he found out that only led to frustration. He hoped he could satisfy himself with a hedonistic-style self-indulgence. But he found that every buzz has that hangover. He corrected himself towards wise living, but saw the kind of frustration that both the foolish and the wise saw the same result in life so many times. He looked in one more place. We looked last week at his attempt to accumulate more and more things, to have more stuff, to satisfy his soul. But even though he was extremely rich, his appetite couldn't be satisfied. This man looked everywhere for meaning. And each new way he tried to experience purpose seemed to be meaningless. Now the teacher, along the way, of course, has left us hints each week, we've been able to see that as he didn't find purpose, he could allude to something God was up to in the middle of that. And as we've had the advantage of the rest of Scripture to pull from, we've seen that throughout all of this, God was really the creator, and God really was all-knowing, and God really was our best good, and God really was supreme, and God really was so generous, and we could find meaning in that. But maybe like the teacher, you and I aren't always consistent at applying what we've been learning and what we've been realizing across the spectrum of our lives. Sometimes it's a church service or a moment where you're able to get away and spend time with God. Maybe even in the morning as you wake up with new grace and new energy and new perspective and you maybe spend time with God in his word and in prayer and you feel like, I got this now, I understand. He's my identity, he's my source. And then, you know, the very next thing in your day happens, and we instantly reset and reboot to perhaps a hustle after so many other different things to define us. In our very last chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes today, 
we're going to see the author's conclusion. So if you would, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. In this defining chapter, the author draws a final conclusion. And he gives a hint of where he's going in the verses leading up to chapter 12. He says in Ecclesiastes 11 verse 8, here's, here's maybe an overview of where he's coming from. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. He's basically saying, listen, be happy because life's going to be hard. And in the end, it's all meaningless. This is the place the author is in as he's searching for meaning. He's looking at the fact that life is short, so I ought to be glad. I might might as well find joy where I can because when life runs out, it, it may all seem meaningless in the end. He continues that train of thought then in chapter 12, although he doesn't stay there. And we get a hint of that right away. He says in verse 1 of chapter 12, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. We're going to come back to this phrase, but, but don't miss that this is where he started. He gives us a hint of the purpose he's going to get to. He says, Remember your Creator. Remember God while you're young. And then he says, Before. And he's about to go on a long, poetic, metaphor-filled rant about what happens in life. But he he says, remember God before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before, again, he's setting up what's going to come next and see if you can get the general gist of what happens in the next eight verses. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened. And the clouds return after the rain in a day where the keepers of the house tremble. And the strong men are bent. And the grinders cease because they're few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed. And the doors of the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low. And though one rises up at the sound of a bird. And the daughters of the song are brought low. They're also afraid of what's high. And terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about in the streets. Are you seeing a trend here? Maybe you're not exactly sure what's going on. There's so many metaphors. There's so many pictures like, I'm confused. This doesn't make sense. It's like many things that artists say in songs and lyrics. You're like, ah, I'll give you that. Uh, You're trying to express something here. Do you see a trend, though? Even if we're not certain, and you can interpret these in many ways, the general idea is things are getting worse, and things are bad anyway. That's what we're seeing here. He continues in verse 6, and it doesn't get better. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. He's just gone through a rant where basically what he did is he points out in a poetic way one basic idea. 
And it's very encouraging, and I'm so glad you're all here. Life is short. You're all going to die. It's what he says. He says, starting with pictures of worsening weather, that the lights are growing dim and the rain is coming and the clouds are remaining. Like the weather is not clearing up to a better day. And if you get older, you start to sense that. I'm told. I'm told. So young still. And all of my hair is still there for sure. The picture zooms in, though, as he continues talking. And he talks about decay and age and various images of death. He talks about the grinders ceasing because they're few. It's probably your teeth rotting and falling out. And the windows being dim. Your eyes are, are giving out. And you, you're rising up at the sound of a bird. Like, even though you can't hear anymore, you're still waking up all the time. And you can't sleep and you can't get rest. And you're afraid of everything anymore. And the almond tree blossoms. You, an almond tree has white petals when it's in bloom. Your, your hair's turned white. The grasshopper drags itself along. You might feel like that as you age. Before the silver cord is snapped, the golden bowl is broken. Like life is coming to an end and it's agonizing. And things start falling apart at the seams. And then the mourners are in the street and dust returns to the earth as it was. You die. Life is short. And the author then says what he said at the very beginning, the second verse of this book. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all of it is vanities. So if you literally were reading Cliff Notes, you wouldn't have needed the last 12 chapters. The very place he started is the very place he comes back to. He's tried everything else in the world, wisdom and power and money and wealth, and at the end of the day, he's realizing, and at the end of the day, you die. And you can't stop it. And it might be horrible. It's all meaningless. And he has a point. Life is short. And it's filled with heartaches, sometimes enough to rival any of the beauty that we experience. So, like the author, what do we do in the face of this reality? Is there any hope if, after all, we're all just destined to die? Is nihilism, in that sense, meaningless, just doing whatever you want, the best way to live. Well, this might seem like the message that the author wants to leave us with. He pulls a really abrupt and a really fast change towards an ending. He says in verse 9, is a bit of a postscript, a bit of an introduction of the author and his attempt of writing. He says, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge. Weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, which frankly I would argue with on this chapter. And uprightly he wrote words of truth. The author is trying to say, listen, I tried to arrange my research in the most compelling and the most beautiful way I could. It was true. From my experience. And he says this about his words. The words of the wise are like goads. They're like nails firmly fixed. 
It, it's like wisdom moves us into the right way of living or secures us to truths that matter that will keep us from being shaken. And he says something peculiar. He says they're given by one shepherd. Truth, at the end of the day, the author acknowledges, comes from God. My son, he continues, beware of anything beyond these. Of the making of many books, there's no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Perhaps this is the best passage to read at the beginning of a school year. We're about to put ourselves, if you're a student, into another season of study. And the author is acknowledging, listen, you could go on and on and on trying to research yourself till the day you die into the best understanding of the world. But what I'm about to tell you is the only thing you really need to get. Even if you're not sure of the rest of the details, if you pursue what I'm about to say, you'll know enough. So he says this in verse 13. This is the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God. Keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. All of this research leading to one conclusion, fear God and obey Him. Fearing God, that, that's what we do when we realize who God is. When we see His unchanging power, His ultimate justice, that's our only response when we understand who He is. Like Isaiah, when he's brought before the presence of the Lord and he stops and he says, I am not worthy, woe is me. I stand before God that I don't measure up to. The teacher advises us we ought to live with that kind of perspective. Fear God. In our short lives, we ought to realize that God deserves our reverence and our obedience. God deserves our reverence and our obedience. We ought to live in awe and worship of God responding to his words and his works. We saw hints of this as we started our, our passage today in chapter 12, where, where the author says, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Think about, live life in awareness of who your Creator is. Live in awe and the fear and the worship of God from the very beginning of your life. Before you get to the point where life is falling about at the seams, experience the purpose of life. From the very beginning of life. Live a life with true meaning as many days as you possibly can. Because this is the best way to live. The author is acknowledging after all of his study, we were made to fear God and follow his ways. That's what brings us fulfillment. So sure, in, in one sense, in, in seasons of life, and as the author has done his study, it might seem like nothing matters. But actually, everything matters because God created everything for a purpose. Proverbs says, the Lord has made everything for a purpose, even the wicked for a day of trouble. And so our existence in that sense isn't just a temporary thing, isn't just something that leads to death and then it's over and so nothing matters. In fact... Paul says that things that are seen are temporary, but things that are unseen, like our souls, are eternal. 
So we don't just have, what is a, a 78.54 year long lifespan to deal with, to account for, to experience any ultimate meaning. Our existence isn't short, even if our time on this earth is. You've never seen, you've never met, you never hugged, you never yelled at, you've never been frustrated with a temporary person. We have terminal parts that are going to decay into dirt, sure. But eternal souls. We all live forever. And so our lives aren't meaningless. They're crafted for eternity in the image of a God who is worthy of our reverence and obedience. That gives us an infinite significance. The teacher highlights not only is our purpose to fear God and keep his commandments, but he he highlights a support for that. He says in verse 14, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Fear God. Keep his commandments. It's your whole duty, for God will bring every deed into judgment judgment this doesn't seem like it supports well perhaps at the surface an ultimate meaning in life but can i borrow a minute of your time to help us understand why this matters god will bring to justice every single thing that you and i and anyone we've ever met and anyone that's ever existed has ever done and that justice is good news, as well as a terrifying reality. It's good news because our existence has been a long nightmare, leeching out our eager pursuit of rebellion. We've hunted and actively sought ways to destroy and annihilate each other. We have worked hard to rip each other into shreds, defying the image of God in each other, and then we've suffocated under the weight of those consequences. Maybe your life feels a little bit more put together than that. But then maybe your life isn't well examined either at times. Our lives have been one experience perhaps of injustice after another. And we've cried through night after night as the cancer of sin has ripped the few pieces of common grace we might have known away from our feeble hands. Without God administering justice to the complete storyline of humanity, there would be no meaning in life yet. Here's why. Why would we bother to live in any kind of way if at the end of the day, all of the horrors of all of humanity were just that, a fact of existence, and it was okay? A fact of existence that wouldn't be answered. If life could be agony after agony that was unanswered, then life would be meaningless because why should we try to be any better or why should we try to do anything other than live for the moment? We instead get to rejoice that God brings everything under his judgment because our aching hearts can know that the wrongdoers of this world will be brought to justice. 
that sin and disease and death itself will one day be forever answered and finished and done. That brings a reason for meaning. That's good news, but it's a terrifying reality because you and I are those wrongdoers. Scripture is consistent and clear that standing before a holy God who deserves our reverence and obedience, I have fallen short. So have us all. Justice demands we have to pay with our eternity. But this is where our experience of a good life or a purpose or meaning in life changes dramatically. Because in Hebrews 9, the apostle recounts an event in history that radically redefines our experience of God's justice giving meaning to our lives. Where he says, just as it's appointed for man once to die, and after that the judgment, that's justice, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting him. That's mercy and victory. The cross of Jesus means that it's possible for our judgment day, which brings meaning, to have already occurred. Romans 8.33 says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. So who is left to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, he is the one who was raised and is at the right hand of God and who is indeed interceding for us. So friends, we have good news. Judgment day is coming. There is a reason and a meaning and an objective purpose for life. God will make things right. But instead of needing to face it, we have a way to know that it could already have been made for us. Jesus lived and died in our place for our sins. He can be the just and justifier of the one who has faith in him. That redefines everything. So that when Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes on him who sent me has eternal life, he could mean what he said next. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Our response of faith is to repent and believe in the person and work of Jesus because our lives are short. And so to experience anything other than death in life we need to experience and respond to the life that Jesus offers. God deserves our reverence and obedience because ultimately he prepared justice. And in Christ he's made a way for us to be made right before him, empowered to obey him, and made alive to see and enjoy him forever. So in our short lives, are they meaningless? No. They are filled with meaning because we can start to enjoy him and live in life and know that all things will be made right and that ultimately we've already been made right with our Father. We can stop wasting time asking gifts or things or money to do what only God could do for us. The author of Ecclesiastes tried that and he's showing us Worshiping God, following Him, that's the only way to live life that matters. 
after writing these words, it would be a couple hundred years until Jesus would walk on the earth, but he would say this, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Summarizing for us that though our lives may be short, God is life. He's what our souls most desperately long for. He's what brings meaning. He's what satisfies our heart. God knows all, created all, it all, is supreme over all, is generous to all, is our greatest good, like we've seen through this whole series. And he is our very basis for meaning in life itself. God gives meaning and purpose to our existence. His holiness defines what is good and beautiful. So, is it vanity of vanities? Is everything meaningless, detached from God? Would seem that way. But God has made a way for us to fear and follow Him in spirit and in truth. So that if God is our life, Colossians 3 can be our response. Therefore, since you've been raised with Christ... God is our life, so we live. We've been raised with Christ. Strive for things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We live so that we can obey God, fearing him and keeping his commandments. And then we set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. As we live and obey, we live in worship, setting our mind on him, following him. And that concludes, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, God is life. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. Since God is our life, we can live to obey and we can live in worship and we can live with that kind of confidence that the end of our story is written, that we will appear with Christ one day victorious when all things are made new and when all things are made right. And so we don't have to spend our lives like the author of Ecclesiastes trying to find a way to make life make sense. When the greatest of all meanings and the greatest of all purposes has already been laid out and offered and available to us. Rescued, adopted, secured, empowered, and destined to glorify God forever. And it can begin today. Remembering and knowing and standing in awe and reverence of our creator now. While we're young or as young as we'll ever be. Let's find fulfillment by living as we were created from the start to live forever, glorifying God and enjoying Him. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.